Section 22 of the Book of Household Management. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Katie Gibney. The Book of Household Management by Isabella Beaton. Recipes. Chapter 10. Part 3. Pickled Gherkins. Ingredients. Salt and water, one ounce of bruised ginger, one half ounce of whole black pepper, one quarter ounce of whole allspice, four cloves, two blades of mace, a little horseradish. This proportion of pepper, spices, etc., for one quart of vinegar. Mode. Let the gherkins remain in salt and water for three or four days. When take them out, wipe perfectly dry and put them into a stone jar. Boil sufficient vinegar to cover them, with spices and pepper, etc., in the above proportion, for ten minutes. Pour it, quite boiling, over the gherkins. Cover the jar with vine leaves, and put over them a plate, setting them near the fire, where they must remain all night. Next day, drain off the vinegar, boil it up again, and pour it hot over them. Cover up with fresh leaves, and let the whole remain, till quite cold. Now tie down closely with bladder to exclude the air, and in a month or two they will be fit for use. Time, four days. Seasonable from the middle of July to the end of August. Gherkins. Gherkins are young cucumbers, and the only way in which they are used for cooking purposes is pickling them, as by the recipe here given. Not having arrived at maturity, they have not, of course, so strongly a developed flavor as cucumbers, and, as a pickle, they are very general favorites. Gooseberry Sauce for Boiled Mackerel Ingredients 1 pint of green gooseberries 3 tablespoonfuls of bechamel Number 367 Veal gravy may be substituted for this 2 ounces of fresh butter, seasoning to taste of salt, pepper, and grated nutmeg Mode. Boil the gooseberries in water until quite tender. Strain them and rub them through a sieve. Put into a saucepan the bechamel or gravy. With the butter and seasoning, add the pulp from the gooseberries, mix all well together, and heat gradually through. A little pounded sugar added to this sauce is by many persons considered an improvement, as the saccharine matter takes off the extreme acidity of the unripe fruit. Time. Boil the gooseberries from 20 minutes to one half hour. Sufficient, this quantity, for a large dish of mackerel. Seasonable from May to July. The Gooseberry This useful and wholesome fruit, Ribus gossularia, is thought to be indigenous to the British Isles, and may be occasionally found in a wild state in some of the eastern counties, although, when uncultivated, it is but a very small and inferior berry. The high state of perfection to which it has been here brought is due to the skill of the British gardeners, for in no other country does it attain the same size and flavor. The humidity of the British climate, however, has doubtless something to do with the result, and it is said that gooseberries produced in Scotland, as far north as Inverness, are of a very superior character. Malic and citric acid, blended with sugar, produce the pleasant flavor of the gooseberry, and upon the proper development of these properties depends the success 
of all cooking operations with which they are connected. Glaze for covering cold hams, tongues, etc. Ingredients Stock number 104 or 107, doubling the quantity of meat in each. Mode We may remark at the outset that unless glaze is wanted in very large quantities, it is seldom made expressly. Either of the stocks mentioned above, boiled down and reduced very considerably, will be found to produce a very good glaze. Put the stock into a stewpan, over a nice clear fire, let it boil till it becomes somewhat stiff, when keep stirring to prevent its burning. The moment it is sufficiently reduced, and comes to a glaze, turn it out into the glaze pot, of which we have here given an engraving. As, however, this is not to be found in every establishment, a white earthenware jar would answer the purpose, and this may be placed in a vessel of boiling water to melt the glaze when required. It should never be warmed in a saucepan, except on the principle of the bain-marie, lest it should reduce too much, and become black and bitter. If the glaze is wanted of a pale color, more veal than beef should be used in making the stock and it is as well to omit turnips and celery, as these impart a disagreeable bitter flavor. To glaze cold joints, etc. Melt the glaze by placing the vessel which contains it into the bain-marie or saucepan of boiling water. Brush it over the meat with a paste brush, and if in places it is not quite covered, repeat the operation. The glaze should not be too dark a color. See colored cut of glazed ham. Glaze kettle. This is a kettle used for keeping the strong stock boiled down to a jelly, which is known by the name of glaze. It is composed of two tin vessels, as shown in the cut, one of which, the upper, containing the glaze, is inserted into one of larger diameter and containing boiling water. A brush is put in the small hole at the top of the lid and is employed for putting the glaze on anything that may require it. The Bain-Marie So long as the time when emperors ruled in Rome, and the yellow Tiber passed through a populous and wealthy city, this utensil was extensively employed, and it is frequently mentioned by that profound culinary chemist of the ancients, Apicius. It is an open kind of vessel, as shown in the engraving and explained in our paragraph number 87, on the French terms used in modern cookery, filled with boiling or nearly boiling water, and into this water should be put all the stewpans containing those ingredients which it is desired to keep hot. The quantity and quality of the contents of these vessels are not at all affected, and if the hour of dinner is uncertain in any establishment, by reason of the nature of the master's business, nothing is so certain a means of preserving the flavor of all dishes as the employment of the bain-marie. Green sauce for green geese or ducklings. Ingredients. One quarter pint of sorrel juice, one glass of sherry, one half pint of green gooseberries, one teaspoonful of pounded sugar, one ounce of fresh butter. Mode. Boil the gooseberries in water until they are quite tender. Mash them and press them through a sieve. Put the pulp into a saucepan with the above ingredients. Simmer for three or four minutes, and serve very hot. Time, three or four minutes. Note, we have given this recipe as a sauce for green geese, thinking that some of our readers might sometimes require it. 
but at the generality of fashionable tables. It is now seldom or never served. Sorrel. We gather from the pages of Pliny and Apicius that sorrel was cultivated by the Romans in order to give it more strength and flavor, and that they also partook of it sometimes stewed with mustard, being seasoned with a little oil and vinegar. At the present day, English cookery is not much indebted to this plant, Rumix acetosa, although the French make use of it to a considerable extent. It is found in most parts of Great Britain, and also on the continent, growing wild in the grass meadows, and, in a few gardens, it is cultivated. The acid of sorrel is very prononcé, and is what chemists term a binoxalate of potash, that is, a combination of oxalic acid with potash. General Stock for Gravies Either of the stocks, numbers 104, 105, or 107, will be found to answer very well for the basis of many gravies, unless these are wanted very rich indeed. By the addition of various store sauces, thickening and flavoring, the stocks here referred to may be converted into very good gravies. It should be borne in mind, however, that the goodness and strength of spices, wines, flavorings, etc., evaporate, and that they lose a great deal of their fragrance, if added to the gravy a long time before they are wanted. If this point is attended to, a saving of one-half the quantity of these ingredients will be effected, as, with long boiling, the flavor almost entirely passes away. The shank bones of mutton, previously well soaked, will be found a great assistance in enriching gravies. A kidney or melt, beef skirt, trimmings of meat, etc., etc., answer very well when only a small quantity is wanted, and, as we have before observed, a good gravy need not necessarily be so very expensive, for economically prepared dishes are oftentimes found as savory and wholesome as dearer ones. The cook should also remember that the fragrance of gravies should not be overpowered by too much spice, or any strong essences, and that they should always be warmed in a bain-marie after they are flavored, or else in a jar or jug placed in a saucepan full of boiling water. The remains of roast meat gravy should always be saved, as, when no meat is at hand, a very nice gravy in haste may be made from it, and when added to hashes, ragouts, etc., is a great improvement. Gravy Kettle This is a utensil which will not be found in every kitchen, but it is a useful one where it is necessary to keep gravies hot for the purpose of pouring over various dishes as they are cooking. It is made of copper, and should, consequently, be heated over the hot plate, if there be one, or a charcoal stove. The price at which it can be purchased is set down by Messrs. Slack at fourteen shillings. Gravy for Roast Meat Ingredients Gravy Salt Mode Put a common dish with a small quantity of salt in it under the meat, about a quarter of an hour before it is removed from the fire. When the dish is full, take it away, baste the meat, and pour the gravy into the dish on which the joint is to be served. Sauces and Gravies in the Middle Ages Neither poultry, butcher's meat, nor roast game were eaten dry in the Middle Ages, any more than fried fish is now. Different sauces, each having its own peculiar flavor, 
were served with all these dishes, and even with the various parts of each animal. Strange and grotesque sauces, as, for example, eggs cooked on the spit, butter fried and roasted, were invented by the cooks of those days, but these preparations had hardly any other merit than that of being surprising and difficult to make. A quickly made gravy. Ingredients. One half pound of shin of beef, one half onion, one quarter carrot, two or three sprigs of parsley and savory herbs, a piece of butter about the size of a walnut, cayenne and mace to taste, three quarters pint of water. Mode. Cut up the meat into very small pieces, slice the onion and carrot, and put them into a small saucepan with the butter. Keep stirring over a sharp fire until they have taken a little color, when add the water and the remaining ingredients. Simmer for one half hour, skim well, strain, and flavor, when it will be ready for use. Time, one half hour. Average cost, for this quantity, five pence. A hundred different dishes. Modern housewives know pretty well how much care and attention and foresight are necessary in order to serve well a little dinner for six or eight persons, a dinner which will give credit to the menage and satisfaction and pleasure to the guests. A quickly made gravy, under some circumstances that we have known occur, will be useful to many housekeepers when they have not much time for preparation. But, talking of speed and time and preparation, what a combination of all these must have been necessary for the feast at the wedding of Charles the Sixth of France. On that occasion, as Frossart, the chronicler, tells us, the art of cooking, with its innumerable paraphernalia of sauces, with gravy, pepper, cinnamon, garlic, scallion, brains, gravy soups, milk pottage, and ragouts, had a signal triumph. The skillful chef de cuisine of the royal household covered the great marble table of the regal palace with no less than a hundred different dishes, prepared in a hundred different ways. A good beef gravy for poultry, game, etc. Ingredients. One half pound of lean beef, one half pint of cold water, one shallot or small onion, one half a teaspoonful of salt, a little pepper, one tablespoonful of Harvey's sauce or mushroom ketchup, one half a teaspoonful of arrowroot. Mode. Cut up the beef into small pieces and put it with the water into a stew pan. Add the shallot and seasoning and simmer gently for three hours, taking care that it does not boil fast. A short time before it is required, take the arrowroot and having mixed it with a little cold water, pour it into the gravy, which keeps stirring, adding the Harvey's sauce and just letting it boil. Strain off the gravy in a tureen and serve very hot. Time, three hours. Average cost, eight pence per pint. Brown gravy. Ingredients. Two ounces of butter, two large onions, two pounds of shin of beef, two small slices of lean bacon, if at hand, salt and whole pepper to taste, three cloves, two quarts of water. For thickening, two ounces of butter, three ounces of flour. Mode. Put the butter into a stew pan, set this on the fire, throw in the onions cut in rings, and fry them a light brown. Then add the beef and bacon, which should be cut into small square pieces, season, and pour in a teacup full of water. Let it boil for about ten minutes or until it is of a nice brown color, 
occasionally stirring the contents. Now fill up with water in the above proportion. Let it boil up, when draw it to the side of the fire to simmer very gently for one and a half hours. Strain, and when cold, take off all the fat. In thickening this gravy, melt three ounces of butter in a stewpan, add two ounces of flour, and stir till of a light brown color. When cold, add it to the strained gravy, and boil it up quickly. This thickening may be made in larger quantities, and kept in a stone jar for use when wanted. Time, altogether, two hours. Average cost, four pence per pint. Cloves. This very agreeable spice is the unexpanded flower buds of the Caryophyllus aromaticus, a handsome branching tree, a native of the Malacca Islands. They take their name from the Latin word clavus, or the French clau, both meaning a nail, and to which the clove has a considerable resemblance. Cloves were but little known to the ancients, and Pliny appears to be the only writer who mentions them and he says, vaguely enough, that some were brought to Rome, very similar to grains of pepper, but somewhat longer, that they were only to be found in India, in a wood consecrated to the gods, and that they served in the manufacture of perfumes. The Dutch, as in the case of the nutmeg, C. 378, endeavored, when they gained possession of the Spice Islands, to secure a monopoly of cloves, and, so that the cultivation of the tree might be confined to Amboyna, their chief island, bribed the surrounding chiefs to cut down all the trees found elsewhere. The Amboyna, or royal clove, is said to be the best and is rare, but other kinds, nearly equally good, are produced in other parts of the world, and they come to Europe from Meridius, Bourbon, Cayenne, and Martinique, as also from St. Kitts, St. Vincent's, and Trinidad. The clove contains about 20% of volatile aromatic oil, to which it owes its peculiar pungent flavor, its other parts being composed of woody fiber, water, gum, and resin. Brown Gravy Without Meat Ingredients 2 large onions, 1 large carrot, 2 ounces of butter, 3 pints of boiling water, 1 bunch of savory herbs, a wine glass full of good beer, salt and pepper to taste. Mode. Slice, flour, and fry the onions and carrots in the butter until of a nice light brown color. Then add the boiling water and the remaining ingredients. Let the whole stew gently for about an hour, then strain, and when cold, skim off all the fat. Thicken it in the same manner as recipe number 436, and, if thought necessary, Add a few drops of coloring, number 108. Time, one hour. Average cost, two pence per pint. Note, the addition of a small quantity of mushroom ketchup or Harvey's sauce very much improves the flavor of this gravy. Rich gravy for hashes, ragouts, etc. Ingredients. Two pounds of shin of beef, one large onion or a few shallots, a little flour, a bunch of savory herbs, two blades of mace, two or three cloves, four whole allspice, one quarter teaspoon of whole pepper, one slice of lean ham or bacon, one half a head of celery, when at hand, two pints of boiling water, salt, and cayenne to taste. Mode. Cut the beef into thin slices, as also the onions. 
dredge them with flour, and fry of a pale brown, but do not allow them to get black. Pour in the boiling water, let it boil up, and skim. Add the remaining ingredients, and simmer the whole, very gently for two hours, or until all the juices are extracted from the meat. Put it by to get cold, when take off all the fat. This gravy may be flavored with ketchup, store sauces, wine, or, in fact, anything that may give additional and suitable relish to the dish it is intended for. Time, rather more than two hours. Average cost, eight pence per pint. Allspice. This is the popular name given to pimento, or Jamaica pepper, known to naturalists as Eugenia pimenta, and belonging to the order of Myrtaceae. It is the berry of a fine tree in the West Indies and South America, which attains a height of from 15 to 20 feet. The berries are not allowed to ripen, but, being gathered green, are then dried in the sun, and then become black. It is an inexpensive spice, and is considered more mild and innocent than most other spices. Consequently, it is much used for domestic purposes, combining a very agreeable variety of flavors. Gravy made without meat for fowls. Ingredients. The necks, feet, livers, and gizzards of the fowls. One slice of toasted bread, one half onion, one faggot of savory herbs, salt and pepper to taste, one half pint of water, thickening of butter and flour, one dessert spoonful of ketchup. Mode. Wash the feet of the fowls thoroughly clean, and cut them and the neck into small pieces. Put these into a stewpan with the bread, onions, herbs, seasoning, livers, and gizzards. Pour the water over them and simmer gently for one hour. Now take out the liver, pound it, and strain the liquor to it. Add a thickening of butter and flour, and a flavoring of mushroom ketchup. Boil it up and serve. Time, one hour. Average cost, four pence per pint. A cheap gravy for hashes, etc. Ingredients. Bones and trimmings of the cooked joint intended for hashing, one quarter teaspoonful of salt, one quarter teaspoonful of whole pepper, one quarter teaspoonful of whole allspice, a small faggot of savory herbs, one half head of celery, one onion, one ounce of butter, thickening, sufficient boiling water to cover the bones. Mode. Chop the bones in small pieces and put them in a stewpan with the trimmings, salt, pepper, spice, herbs, and celery. Cover with boiling water and let the whole simmer gently for one and a half or two hours. Slice and fry the onion in the butter till it is of a pale brown and mix it gradually with the gravy made from the bones. Boil for one quarter hour and strain into a basin. Now put it back into the stewpan, flavor with walnut pickle or ketchup, pickled onion liquor, or any store sauce that may be preferred. Thicken with a little butter and flour, kneaded together on a plate, and the gravy will be ready for use. After the thickening is added, the gravy should just boil to take off the rawness of the flour. Time, two hours or rather more. Average cost, four pence, exclusive of the bones and trimmings. Jugged gravy. Excellent. Ingredients. Two pounds of shin of beef, one quarter pound of lean ham, one onion or a few shallots, two pints of water, salt and whole pepper to taste, one blade of mace, a faggot of savory herbs, one half a large carrot, one half a head of celery. Mode. 
Cut up the beef and ham into small pieces, and slice the vegetables. Take a jar, capable of holding two pints of water, and arrange therein, in layers, the ham, meat, vegetables, and seasoning, alternately, filling up with the above quantity of water. Tie down the jar, or put a plate over the top, so that the steam may not escape. Place it in the oven, and let it remain there from six to eight hours. Should, however, the oven be very hot, less time will be required. When sufficiently cooked, strain the gravy, and when cold, remove the fat. It may be flavored with ketchup, wines, or any other store sauce that may be preferred. It is a good plan to put the jar in a cool oven overnight, to draw the gravy, and then it will not require so long baking the following day. Time, from six to eight hours, according to the oven. Average cost, seven pence per pint. Celery. As in the above recipe, the roots of celery are principally used in England for flavoring soups, sauces, and gravies, and for serving with cheese at the termination of a dinner, and as an ingredient for salad. In Italy, however, the green leaves and stems are also employed for stews and soups, and the seeds are also more frequently made use of on the continent than in our own islands. In Germany, celery is very highly esteemed, and it is there boiled and served up as a dish by itself, as well as used in the composition of mixed dishes. We ourselves think that this mild aromatic plant might oftener be cooked than it is, for there are very few nicer vegetable preparations brought to table than a well-dressed plate of stewed celery. Veal, gravy for white sauces, fricassees, etc. Ingredients two slices of nicely flavored lean ham, any poultry trimmings, three pounds of lean veal, a faggot of savory herbs, including parsley, a few green onions, or one large onion may be substituted for these, a few mushrooms, when obtainable, one blade of mace, salt to taste, three pints of water. Mode. Cut up the ham and veal into small square pieces, Put these in a stew pan, moistening them with a small quantity of water. Place them over the fire to draw down. When the bottom of the stew pan becomes covered with a white glaze, fill up with water in the above proportions. Add the remaining ingredients, stew very slowly for three or four hours, and do not forget to skim well the moment it boils. Put it by, and when cold, take off all the fat. This may be used for bechamel, sauce tournée, and many other white sauces. Time, three or four hours. Average cost, nine pence per pint. Cheap gravy for minced veal. Ingredients. Bones and trimmings of cold roast or boiled veal, one and a half pint of water, one onion, one quarter teaspoonful of minced lemon peel, one quarter teaspoonful of salt, one blade of pounded mace, the juice of one quarter lemon, thickening of butter and flour. Mode. Put all the ingredients into a stew pan, except the thickening and lemon juice, and let them simmer very gently for rather more than one hour, or until the liquor is reduced to a pint when strained through a hair sieve. Add a thickening of butter and flour and the lemon juice. Set it on the fire and let it just boil up when it will be ready for use. It may be flavored with a little tomato sauce and, where a rather dark-colored gravy is not objected to, ketchup or Harvey's sauce may be added at pleasure. Time, rather more than one hour. 
Average cost, 3 Gravy for venison. Ingredients. Trimmings of venison, 3 or 4 mutton shank bones, salt to taste, 1 pint of water, 2 teaspoonfuls of walnut ketchup. Mode. Brown the trimmings over a nice clear fire and put them in a stewpan with the shank bones and water. Simmer gently for two hours, strain and skim, and add the walnut ketchup and a seasoning of salt. Let it just boil when it is ready to serve. Time, two hours. Venison. Far, far away in ages past, our fathers loved to chase, and what it brought. And it is usually imagined that when Isaac ordered his son Esau to go out with his weapons, his quiver and his bow, and to prepare for him savory meat, such as he loved, that it was venison he desired. The wise Solomon, too, delighted in this kind of fare, for we learn that, at his table, every day were served the wild ox, the roebuck, and the stag. Xenophon informs us, in his history, that Cyrus, king of Persia, ordered that venison should never be wanting at his repasts, and of the effeminate Greeks it was the delight. The Romans also were devoted admirers of the flesh of the deer, and our own kings and princes, from the great Alfred down to the prince consort, have hunted, although it must be confessed, under vastly different circumstances, the swift buck, and relished their haunch all the more keenly, that they had borne themselves bravely in the pursuit of the animal. TO DRY HERBS FOR WINTER USE On a very dry day, gather the herbs, just before they begin to flower. If this is done when the weather is damp, the herbs will not be so good a color. It is very necessary to be particular in little matters like this, for trifles constitute perfection, and herbs nicely dried will be found very acceptable when frost and snow are on the ground. It is hardly necessary, however, to state that the flavor and fragrance of fresh herbs are incomparably finer. They should be perfectly freed from dirt and dust, and be divided into small bunches with their roots cut off. Dry them quickly in a very hot oven, or before the fire, as by this means most of their flavor will be preserved, and be careful not to burn them, tie them up in paper bags, and keep in a dry place. This is a very general way of preserving dried herbs, but we would recommend the plan described in a former recipe. Seasonable. From the month of July to the end of September is the proper time for storing herbs for winter use. Herb powder for flavoring, when fresh herbs are not obtainable. Ingredients. One ounce of dried lemon thyme, one ounce of dried winter savory, one ounce of dried sweet marjoram and basil, two ounces of dried parsley, one ounce of dried lemon peel. Mode. Prepare and dry the herbs by recipe number 445. Pick the leaves from the stalks, pound them, and sift them through a hair sieve. Mix in the above proportions and keep in glass bottles, carefully excluding the air. This, we think, a far better method of keeping herbs, as the flavor and fragrance do not evaporate so much as when they are merely put in paper bags. Preparing them in this way, you have them ready for use at a moment's notice. Mint, sage, parsley, etc., dried, pounded, and each put into separate bottles, will be found very useful in winter. Corks with wooden tops. These are the best corks to use when it is indispensable that the air should not be admitted to the ingredients contained in bottles which are in constant use. The top, 
which, as will be seen by the accompanying little cut, is larger than the cork, is made of wood, and, besides effectually covering the whole top of the bottle, can be easily removed and again used, as no corkscrew is necessary to pull it out. SAVORY This we find described by Columella, a voluminous Roman writer on agriculture, as an odoriferous herb which, in the brave days of old, entered into the seasoning of nearly every dish. Verily, there are but few new things under the sun, and we don't find that we have made many discoveries in gastronomy, at least beyond what was known to the ancient inhabitants of Italy. We possess two varieties of this aromatic herb, known to naturalists as satyrija. They are called summer and winter savory, according to the time of the year when they are fit for gathering. Both sorts are in general cultivation throughout England. Horseradish sauce to serve with roast beef. Ingredients. Four tablespoonfuls of grated horseradish, one teaspoonful of pounded sugar, one teaspoonful of salt, one half teaspoonful of pepper, two teaspoonfuls of made mustard, vinegar. Mode. Grate the horseradish and mix it well with the sugar, salt, pepper, and mustard. Moisten it with sufficient vinegar to give it the consistency of cream and serve in a tureen. Three or four tablespoonfuls of cream added to the above very much improve the appearance and flavor of this sauce. To heat it to serve with hot roast beef, put it in a bain-marie or a jar, which place in a saucepan of boiling water. Make it hot, but do not allow it to boil or it will curdle. Note, this sauce is a great improvement on the old-fashioned way of serving cold scraped horseradish with hot roast beef. The mixing of the cold vinegar with the warm gravy cools and spoils everything on the plate. Of course, with cold meat, the sauce should be served cold. The horseradish. This has been, for many years, a favorite accompaniment of roast beef, and is a native of England. It grows wild in wet ground, but has long been cultivated in the garden, and is, occasionally, used in winter salads and in sauces. On account of the great volatility of its oil, it should never be preserved by drying, but should be kept moist by being buried in sand. So rapidly does its volatile oil evaporate, that even when scraped for the table it almost immediately spoils by exposure to the air. Horseradish Vinegar Ingredients one quarter pound of scraped horseradish, one ounce of minced shallot, one dram of cayenne, one quart of vinegar. Mode. Put all the ingredients into a bottle, which shake well every day for a fortnight. When it is thoroughly steeped, strain and bottle, and it will be fit for use immediately. This will be found an agreeable relish to cold beef, etc. Seasonable. This vinegar should be made either in October or November as horseradish is then in its highest perfection. Indian curry powder, founded on Dr. Kitchener's recipe. Ingredients. One quarter pound of coriander seed, one quarter pound of turmeric, two ounces of cinnamon seed, one half ounce of cayenne, one ounce of mustard, one ounce of ground ginger, one half ounce of allspice, two ounces of fenugreek seed. Mode. Put all the ingredients in a cool oven, where they should remain one night. Then pound them in a mortar, rub them through a sieve, and mix thoroughly together. Keep the powder in a bottle, from which the air should be completely excluded. Note. 
We have given this recipe for curry powder, as some persons prefer to make it at home, but that purchased at any respectable shop is, generally speaking, far superior, and, taking all things into consideration, very frequently more economical. Indian mustard, an excellent relish to bread and butter, or any cold meat. Ingredients. One quarter pound of the best mustard, one quarter pound of flour, one half ounce of salt, four shallots, four tablespoonfuls of vinegar, four tablespoonfuls of ketchup, one quarter bottle of anchovy sauce. Mode. Put the mustard, flour, and salt into a basin, and make them into a stiff paste with boiling water. Boil the shallots with the vinegar, ketchup, and anchovy sauce for ten minutes, and pour the whole, boiling, over the mixture in the basin. Stir well and reduce it to a proper thickness. Put it into a bottle with a bruised shallot at the bottom and store away for use. This makes an excellent relish and if properly prepared will keep for years. Mustard. Before the year 1729, mustard was not known at English tables. About that time an old woman, of the name of Clements, residing in Durham, began to grind the seed in a mill, and to pass the flour through several processes necessary to free the seed from its husks. She kept her secret for many years to herself, during which she sold large quantities of mustard throughout the country, but especially in London. Here it was introduced to the royal table when it received the approval of George I. From the circumstances of Mrs. Clements being a resident at Durham, it obtained the name of Durham Mustard. In the county of that name it is still principally cultivated, and the plant is remarkable for the rapidity of its growth. It is the best stimulant employed to impart strength to the digestive organs, and even in its previously coarsely pounded state had a high reputation with our ancestors. Indian Pickle Very Superior Ingredients To each gallon of vinegar allow six cloves of garlic, twelve shallots, two sticks of sliced horseradish, one quarter pound of bruised ginger, two ounces of whole black pepper, one ounce of long pepper, one ounce of allspice, twelve cloves, one quarter ounce of cayenne, two ounces of mustard seed, one quarter pound of mustard, one ounce of turmeric, a white cabbage, cauliflowers, radish pods, French beans, gherkins, small round pickling onions, nasturtiums, capsicums, chilies, etc. Mode. Cut the cabbage, which must be hard and white, into slices, and the cauliflowers into small branches. Sprinkle salt over them in a large dish, and let them remain two days. Then dry them, and put them into a very large jar, with garlic, shallots, horseradish, ginger, pepper, allspice, and cloves, in the above proportions. Boil sufficient vinegar to cover them, which pour over, and, when cold, cover up to keep them free from dust. As the other things for the pickle ripen at different times, they may be added as they are ready. These will be radish pods, French beans, gherkins, small onions, nasturtiums, capsicums, chili, etc., etc. As these are procured, they must, first of all, be washed in a little cold vinegar, wiped, and then simply added to the other ingredients in the large jar, only taking care that they are covered by the vinegar. If more vinegar should be wanted to add to the pickle, 
do not omit first to boil it before adding it to the rest. When you have collected all the things you require, turn all out in a large pan, and thoroughly mix them. Now put the mixed vegetables into smaller jars without any of the vinegar. Then boil the vinegar again, adding as much more as will be required to fill the different jars, and also cayenne, mustard seed, turmeric, and mustard, which must be well mixed with a little cold vinegar, allowing the quantities named above to each gallon of vinegar. Pour the vinegar, boiling hot, over the pickle, and when cold, tie down with a bladder. If the pickle is wanted for immediate use, the vinegar should be boiled twice more, but the better way is to make it during one season for use during the next. It will keep for years if care is taken that the vegetables are quite covered by the vinegar. This recipe was taken from the directions of a lady whose pickle was always pronounced excellent by all who tasted it, and who has, for many years, exactly followed the recipe given above. Note. For small families, perhaps the above quantity of pickle will be considered too large, but this may be decreased at pleasure, taking care to properly proportion the various ingredients. Keeping Pickles Nothing shows more, perhaps, the difference between a tidy, thrifty housewife and a lady to whom these desirable epithets may not honestly be applied than the appearance of their respective store closets. The former is able the moment anything is wanted, to put her hand on it at once. No time is lost, no vexation incurred, no dish spoilt for the want of just little something. The latter, on the contrary, hunts all over her cupboard for the ketchup the cook requires, or the pickle the husband thinks he should like a little of with his cold roast beef or mutton chop, and vainly seeks for the emden groats or arrowroot to make one of her little boys some gruel. One plan, then, we strenuously advise all who do not follow, to begin at once, and that is, to label all their various pickles and store sauces in the same way as the cut here shows. It will occupy a little time at first, but there will be economy of it in the long run. Vinegar. This term is derived from the two French words, vin agré, sour wine, and should, therefore, be strictly applied to that which is made only from wine. As the acid is the same, however it is procured, that made from ale also takes the same name. Nearly all ancient nations were acquainted with the use of vinegar. We learn in Ruth that the reapers in the east soaked their bread in it to freshen it. The Romans kept large quantity of it in their cellars, using it, to a great extent, in their seasonings and sauces. This people attributed very beneficial qualities to it, as it was supposed to be digestive, antibilious, and antiscorbutic, as well as refreshing. Spartianus, a Latin historian, tells us that, mixed with water, it was the drink of the soldiers, and that, thanks to this beverage, the veterans of the Roman army braved, by its use, the inclemency and variety of all the different seasons and climates of Europe Asia, and Africa. It is said the Spanish peasantry and other inhabitants of the southern parts of Europe still follow this practice, and add to a gallon of water about a gill of wine vinegar with a little salt, and that this drink with a little bread enables them, under the heat of their burning sun, to sustain the labors of the field. Indian Chetney Sauce Ingredients 
8 ounces of sharp sour apples, pared and cored, 8 ounces of tomatoes, 8 ounces of salt, 8 ounces of brown sugar, 8 ounces of stoned raisins, 8 ounces of cayenne, 4 ounces of powdered ginger, 2 ounces of garlic, 2 ounces of shallots, 3 quarts of vinegar, 1 quart of lemon juice. Mode. Chop the apples in small square pieces and add to them the other ingredients. Mix the whole well together and put it in a well-covered jar. Keep this in a warm place and stir every day for a month, taking care to put on the lid after this operation. Strain, but do not squeeze it dry. Store it away in clean jars or bottles for use, and the liquor will serve as an excellent sauce for meat or fish. Seasonable. Make this sauce when tomatoes are in full season, that is, from the beginning of September to the end of October. Pickles The ancient Greeks and Romans held their pickles in high estimation. They consisted of flowers, herbs, roots, and vegetables, preserved in vinegar, which were kept, for a long time, in cylindrical vases with wide mouths. Their cooks prepared pickles with the greatest care, and the various ingredients were macerated in oil, brine, and vinegar, with which they were often impregnated drop by drop. Meat also, after having been cut into very small pieces, was treated in the same manner. End of section 22